0: Everyone was excited. Everyone. They couldn't believe it was going to happen. Here they were at Hume Lake Christian Camp. And this group of guys come up from Los Angeles. They're from Burbank. And there on the last night, it happens. The whole starting lineup for the Burbank High School football team, all go forward and as a group embrace Jesus Christ. They all say, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if I could end the story there, we'd all be going, hey, that's pretty good. I like it. But unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. About three weeks later, This young gal, she is a high school student at Burbank High School. She goes to a party of friends, and there is one of the guys. He's a mountain of a guy. He's one of the linemen. And he is wasted. And he is profane. And he is cruel. And he is mean. And she is only like five foot. But that didn't stop her. She took a big deep breath. She walked up. She kept looking up and looking up and looking up. And she said, Hey, you and I go to the same youth group. Didn't you three weeks ago give your life to Jesus Christ? And the guy looked down at her and he said this He said, Yeah, three weeks ago I asked Jesus as my Savior but I want you to hear me and I want you to know there's no way he's going to tell me what to do. Hmm. Well, they were all convinced because they're all now Christians they would have a winning season, that they would take state. It didn't go that way. After a couple games and a couple of horrible losses, pretty soon not one of those students, not one of those football players were attending the youth group, not one following Jesus. You see, they viewed Jesus as many people do. He's just simply something to check off the list. Ah, accepted Jesus. Yep, got that one done. Uh, Now let's do our taxes. To many, Jesus is simply a life insurance policy. Jesus is a lucky charm. In fact, uh, you might put it this way. Uh, there are some who look at the 23rd Psalm and they take that very first verse, which we have been pouring over the last two weeks. And they say, the Lord is my Savior as long as he gives me what I want. But if not, I'm out of here. Whew. Friends, hear me clearly. Clearly. Jesus is not your fairy godmother. He's not a genie. He's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. He's concerned about a life transformed by a relationship with him. He's not just a box you check off. And today as we come between those two parts, we just saw the last week than the week before, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That is a declaration about who his shepherd is. And David writes this with the idea of us understanding, yes, that's who my trust is in. That's where I'm going. But now we come to another verse. And that verse has a line drawn in the sand. That line cries out. That line says this. Are you going to follow? Are you going to follow? It's not enough just to go, "Hey, I feel really good. God's my guy." I like him. Or are you going to follow? You see, a shepherd, by the nature of who he is, leads. And there's only one job for sheep. To follow. Sheep that don't follow, we talked about that. They can become lost or they can become dinner. Our job as a sheep is to determine Who we are going to follow and are we going to follow the shepherd that we have just declared? Or are we going to follow someone else? Friends, you have a decision to make today. I'm going to be very up front. Who are you going to follow? Now, it's a heavyweight decision. The wrong choice means a wrong ending. You see, a sheep's life, if a sheep wants to thrive, he has to do it by based on, or she has to do it by based on who her shepherd is. The wrong shepherd, she dies. So it's a very weighty question. Now we talked about last week, the land, we talked about, you know, Mount, Mount Hermon and and Sea of Galilee and all that great stuff. But we talked about in the land of the shepherd, it's the land of the desert. It's the land of the wilderness. And friends, you need to have a shepherd who knows the way through the wilderness. You need a shepherd who can handle the wilderness. And you say, well, come on, Greg, before I make that decision on whether or not it's Jesus, uh, tell me his qualifications. Does he even understand what it's like to be in the wilderness? Does he have a clue what it's like well let's start let's start when he was born the power of the day was Rome Rome was not nice it was called Pax Romana the peace of Rome why was it called the peace of Rome because it was a peace bought in blood it was peace through oppression and so here is Jesus. He is the day that he is born. If you were part of the Roman culture, if you were a Jewish person living in the land of Israel, you could expect that your land could be taken at a moment's notice. Your children could be ripped from your arms and sold in slavery, either for debt or for service to Rome. And oh, human trafficking? They invented it. Human trafficking? Those in charge promoted it. If you wanted to take your children to the market, you'd probably have your hands over their eyes and you say, sweetie, don't look up. Don't look up. Don't look up. Why? Because your road may be lined with crosses, with people dying. So Rome could show that she was in charge. Oh, well, we'll, we'll run to our, to our spiritual leaders. They'll help us. And then you find that most of them are sold out to Rome because all they want is the power, the prestige, and the money. And you can't even run to your religious leaders for help. Rome is so callous that it sent a tidal wave, a tsunami, and shook up people's lives with a simple decree. Go home so you can pay taxes. Think what that must have meant to a guy named Joseph taking his teenage betrothed bride in the eighth month of her pregnancy down 80 miles on a road so infested with bandits that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan and everyone's standing there going, yep, I've been robbed. Yep, that happened to me. Yep. Just for the sake of taxes, He leads his wife to be his betrothed on an 80-mile journey facing the elements, facing the cold and the heat. He takes her down, and then they have to climb the thousands of feet up to Jerusalem and back down. And then he has to try to feed her and take care of her. This is Rome. Does Jesus understand our deserts. He was born into it. Does Jesus understand our deserts, our trials? Understand this: He was the target of the government. Remember, He is born. The wise men come. They talk to Herod. Herod says, "Um, where is he, and how old is he?" And when they leave a different way, the wise men. What happens? He sends out a slaughter. He kills every boy child under the age of two so much that it fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah which says Rachel, which is the picture of Israel, Rachel will cry out and cry for her children and her heart will not be comforted. Can you imagine Jesus growing up knowing that hundreds of children were killed in an attempt to kill Him? Jesus becomes a refugee. He flees to Egypt. Joseph gets there. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't have a place to stay. He doesn't have any resources. But Joseph fades his family. And as refugees, as second-class citizens, as outcasts, they live in Egypt until they hear that old Herod had died. And so they decide to go back. And they're warned, don't go to this Herod, because there's a couple Herods going on. Don't go to this one. This one will ruin your life. He'll be after you. Go and settle over by Nazareth. But even that Herod would turn his sights on Jesus. In Luke 13, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say this. Hey, you better run. You better go hide. Herod's coming after you. Isn't it bad when your own enemies are warning you? Think about that. The people who hated Jesus are now coming to him and saying, Hey, the government's after you. You better run. He was a target. He was a target of his family. It says in the scriptures that his own brothers didn't believe who he was. And get this. We see in Mark 3. Mark chapter 3. All his brothers and sisters and his mom. His mom to whom the angel appeared. His mom to whom he had, uh, she, who had treasured in her heart all the things of Jesus. Come and say, um, excuse me, Jesus. You need to go with us. Because you're crazy. You've lost it. Son, son, I'm really sorry, but you're a little cuckoo on what you're teaching. It's interesting there are two main passages which talk about the life Jesus had. It says first that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We find that in Isaiah, but then it turns around in first in John chapter 1 verse 10 and it says he was the one who came to his own and his own rejected him. He's been rejected by the government, he's been rejected by his family. He was rejected by the Jewish leadership, the, the spiritual leaders. At least he could hide in his church, right? No. First they sought to dismiss him. Hey, he's just a crazy carpenter guy. Why, why are you listening to the hick from the sticks? But then when his miracles started happening, they couldn't dismiss him anymore. So they decided, we'll discredit him. We'll call him a fraud. But miracle happened, and miracle happened, and people go, hey, I knew this guy. He was blind. He was, she, she, she was dead. Now she's alive. And they found out they couldn't discredit him. They sought to demonize him. He does this through the power of Beelzebub. He is a demonic person. Run from him. And when the people said, no, how could he teach what he teaches? How could he do what he does? They turn around and say, fine, then we've got to kill him. How many times do we see that they stop to pick up rocks and finally they put in motion a plan that would cause one to leave Jesus' fold and betray him so he would die on a cross? He was rejected by the spiritual leaders. He was rejected by the people. Oh, in the early days, there was a lot. And his biggest feeding, the feeding of the the 5,000, which was really probably close to 20, 25,000 people, there was a lot of people there. And they ate, and they saw his power. And you know what happens next? Give us more food. And Jesus says, I'll give you some food, but it's not going to be food of, of food food. It's going to be spiritual food. Let me tell you about what it means to follow me. Let me tell you what, about what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about that. Well, we don't like that. And in John, get this reference. This one just always has been imprinted on me. John chapter 6, verse sixty. Six. that just is always that number has stuck 666 six, six. in that verse it says those who were little d disciples those who had followed stopped following him and quickly he goes from 25,000 to where he's looking at the 12 and he says are you going to leave 2 and of course, Peter says, "Where would we go? You have the words of life." It gets down to two to to the 12. And then Peter stands for, he says, "I will go with you everywhere." And then one by one, we see, on the night of Jesus' greatest need, he's betrayed by one. He's denied by another. He's doubted by another, and the rest flee except for one named John. Does he understand rejection? Does he understand? And, and understand, he went into this life with a great big bullseye on his back. Because not only do we have all this rejection and sorrow from humanity, but think about what he got from his arch enemy satan it's told immediately after he is baptized he's led by the spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasts he doesn't he is weak as a man and satan shows up and guess what he didn't send one of his second class demons he didn't send anyone who was second or third class the big guy showed up himself the one whose name also means accuser shows up the dragon shows up at the savior's time of weakness and we get the three questions but guess what folks the three questions are the highlight reel for 40 days he pounds on jesus for 40 days he unleashes everything he's got and in the end jesus wins he uses the scriptures and he wins But at a cost. If you recall, there's a little cryptic thing at the end. And look, angels came and ministered to him. They didn't come and pat him on the back, back and wipe his brow. They put him back together. Does Jesus understand? And then there's another cryptic statement. And it says when Satan left, he left so he would come back and seek another more opportune time to attack. Hell itself was gunning for Jesus. So, my question for you is this Is he qualified? Is he qualified? Does he understand what you're going through? Does he understand what it means to be in a wilderness, to be in a desert? Does he understand what it means to be rejected? Does he understand the weakness of being a human? And I would resoundingly say, yes. For he is a unique shepherd because he's the only shepherd who ever became a sheep. Tells us in John 1, he came to this earth, the shepherd of shepherds, the chief shepherd. And he put on human flesh we have a shepherd who understands what it means to be a sheep is he worth following is he worth us investing can we trust this shepherd oh friends i hope i pray i beg that today you would choose to be a follower of the shepherd that you would be one of his sheep and if you are already one of his sheep, that you would take a moment and stop from feeding and gaze at that shepherd and focus your heart and mind and soul on that shepherd and renew your commitment to follow him. You know, uh, <laughs> there's something about a sheep. A sheep's only job, if it wants to thrive, the only thing it has to do is follow. And for a sheep to thrive, they need several things. They need plenty of food. They need still water to drink. They need freedom from pests. They need someone to protect them. They need someone to gather food they can't reach. They need someone who will look over their health. They need someone who will prevent disease and heal wounds. They need someone to give them a home. Sheep can only thrive when a good shepherd is there. And friends, we have a good shepherd. We have a shepherd we can trust. A shepherd who's been one of us. A shepherd who understands what we have gone through. A shepherd who has conquered the desert. One of Jesus' phrases was this. Yes, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Why? Because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world, the flesh, the devil. I've overcome the systems that fight against you. I've overcome death and grave. And in fact, when my name is mentioned, grave runs in fear. Let me be your shepherd. Let me be your shepherd. I've overcome the world. Turn with me to Matthew 5. You want to know why you can trust him? Turn to Matthew 5. Listen to how he teaches. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Now listen closely. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Does that like, sound like someone who understands people in the desert? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Does he understand where you're coming from? Get this. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Why? For they will inherit the earth. for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The shepherd teaches like a shepherd. He understands. But one of the things that Scott shared today when he shared the scriptures was that the sheep follow. The sheep follow. They follow his voice in John 10. They follow him. Today, as you choose who you will follow, be very careful on who you choose. And don't buy into the illusion that if you don't choose, you haven't made a choice. You might say, you know what, I'm not following anyone, I'm following myself. I'm going to run ahead. I'm going to go my own path. I'm going to do my own thing. There was a story told of a pastor taking a group into the Holy Land, and he had just taught them that the shepherd always leads. The shepherd always leads to handle whatever comes its way, to show them the path, to make sure they get the water, to make sure they get the food. Shepherd always leads. And they turned a corner and there they saw a man and his two sons, three sons, and the sheep were in front of him and the sheep were going ahead and they said, hey, pastor, you're wrong. You're wrong. See, the sheep are ahead of the shepherd. The pastor stops the van He runs out to the shepherd and he goes, shepherd, shepherd, my mind is blown. Meltdown. What's going on here? I thought that shepherds always lead their sheep. And the man began to laugh. <laughs> he goes, I can see your problem. I'm not their shepherd. I'm their butcher. There's a way that seems right unto man. But the end thereof is destruction. Destruction. Friends, will you choose to follow the shepherd? Will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose to go down his path, his way, where he will lead you? Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to walk with the shepherd. What he will do for us and what we do in obedience as we follow him. But we have to cross that line, don't we? We have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. The choice is yours. In the back, there'll be some people in that corner who would love to pray with you. Maybe you need to meet the shepherd. Maybe there's some things that have kept you from following the shepherd. They would love to pray with you and deal with that. Shall we pray? The Lord is my shepherd, and he's everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd, which means that I have to follow. And Father, I I ask for us as a congregation. Not that I personally or each one of us personally follows you, because we want that to happen. But I pray that we might be a congregation that says, as a flock, we will follow the shepherd. And that you are the one we choose to follow. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice I prayed that little bit of prayer that we would do it as a flock. Can you hear my pastor's heart? I'm stepping off not as your shepherd, but as a fellow sheep. You know the number one reason why people in the world don't want to follow Jesus? is because they look at us. They're afraid of hypocrites. They don't see lives transformed. They think sometimes we're all about us and not about a hurting world. And when we follow Jesus, we have to follow him as not only individuals, but as a flock. And would you commit with me that this place would be a flock that says, we're following him together. And we're going to encourage each other. And we're going to build each other up. And we're going to help people discover what it means to follow the shepherd. Would you join me, sheep to sheep, to make that happen? Would you lead us in worship, my friend?